Welcome to Master the Pause with Marion Moss. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Namaste. How are you today? Dr. Parker, nice to see you. Um, Stomagy, as I like to call you. Um, welcome, everyone. You're uh, tuned in to Master the Pause uh, podcast. Uh, Master the Pause is a way to expand your consciousness through the control of your inhalation and exhalation. And in these podcasts, my guests use breath consciousness as a way to work with their own health or with their clients and patients. The experiences of the use of the breath are broad and fascinating. Stay tuned. Welcome, Dr. Stephen Parker. I'd like to introduce Dr. Parker uh, right now. Uh, Just know that his credentials are much longer than what I'm reading, and he is an amazing person. a doctor of psychology in private practice at St. Paul, Minnesota since 1985 until his recent retirement. He also serves as an adjunct assistant school professor of counseling and psychological services at St. Mary's University of Minnesota and adjunct assistant professor in the Graduate School of Professional Psychology at the University of St. Thomas in Minneapolis, Minnesota. In 2004, he helped a originate and teach the first course on yoga in an American medical school at University of Minnesota Academic Medical Center. He teaches on the faculty of the introductory workshops of Minnesota Society of Clinical Hypnosis. In addition to authoring journal articles and book chapters, Dr. Parker edited volume two of Swami Veda's definitive scholarly work of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Parallel to his psychology career, he became a yogi in the Himalayan tradition, and there he was initiated by Swami Veda and taught yoga and philosophy and studied Sanskrit and Southeast Asian languages for his BA at the University of Minnesota. His current interest is neuroscience, and he is the author of Clearing the Path, the Yoga Way to Clear to a clear and pleasant mind, Patanjali, neuroscience and emotion. And uh, just so you know, clearing the path is an indispensable resource for students, teachers, uh, yoga students, yoga teachers, teachers and in training. So it's a a great handbook. He has been a peer review editor for the Journal of Men's Studies and the American Journal of Orthopsychiatry the International Yoga, International Journal of Health and Applied Sciences, and the International Yoga Journal of Yoga Therapy and Yoga Mimamsa. Stoma, as he is known by his initiate name, travels to continents far and wide to teach the art of meditation, as taught by his masters, Swami Rama and Swami Veda Bharati. His lectures and teachings are deep and to be experienced. He is very present in mind and allows the student to follow him to silence and stillness when he leads the meditations. His use of breath to become that still is what he will share with us today and how he has done so with patients and and clients in his former practice. 
His current interest is neuroscience, and he is the author, once again, of Clearing the Path, The Yoga Way to Clear and, Clear and Pleasant Mind, Patanjali, Neuroscience and Emotion. He's been a peer review editor for the Journal of Men's Studies, the American Journal. Oh, we've did that one already, didn't we? So uh, welcome and namaste, Stomaji. What an honor it is to see you. We're such good friends, and you're my mentor for many, many years, and you continue to be. Thank you and welcome. I'd love to um, uh, have you add to anything that I may have missed or that you'd like people to know about today. One of my friends, the great uh, Kashmir Shaiva scholar, Bettina Sharda Boimer. Oh, yes. Made a first visit to our ashram in India one time. And uh, Swami Veda, our spiritual mentor, asked me to introduce her, which I did based on her curriculum vita. Yeah. I had actually not met her before that point. And uh, Swamiji then picked up the ball and did a like a 40-minute, <laughs> uh, very enthusiastic talk about her greatness and the, the career that she had had in scholarship. He had been wanting to meet her for 40 years. Right. It's the first time they had also met. And at the end of this incredible exercise in gilding the lily, he turned the floor over to uh, Dr. Boimer, who sat there for a moment in the room and just looked at the audience quietly. And finally she said, our only qualification is our master. Ah. Uh... And uh, I want to live by that. And uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. masters that uh, we had, Marion and I, were extraordinary people. I mean, even among yoga practitioners, they were extraordinary people. Um, Swami Rama of the Himalayas was arguably the greatest yogi of the 20th century. Yeah, yeah. Um, although he would never say so. Right. Like decent yogi. And Swami Veda was a you know, given mastery of the science of dhyana yoga, of the yoga of meditation, meaning the science of meditation across all traditions. He was obviously an adept practitioner and scholar of the yoga traditions of meditation, but he also knew the Buddhist traditions backwards and forwards. He was beloved among Buddhist monks because most of the time, he spoke the Pali language better than they did. Um, <laughs> I remember, yeah. And, uh, his involvement with uh, Buddhism was very, very deep. And uh, to him, I credit uh, with enormous gratitude uh, a grasp of how all the systems of meditation at their core are the same. As John Kabat-Zinn has written many times, many doors, one room. Hmm. And all of the different methods of meditation that people talk about are simply different starting points. The deeper you go in the process, the more all of those starting points converge and become a, a singular science. Um, and they all use breath. And they all use breath. They all begin with breath because breath is the, is the fundamental thing that makes not only meditation, but makes all the practices of yoga work. And not just breath, but mindful breath, being able to be intentionally aware of the feeling of breath flowing in your nostrils. It's a really simple thing. 
And it is the most powerful practice in yoga across the board. Um, it stimulates the part of your brain here in the middle of your forehead, the medial prefrontal cortex, that is in charge of integrating all the rest of your nervous system. As your nervous system grows and develops over time, and it does. I mean, we had the idea when I was trained that people arrived at adulthood with a fully developed nervous system and that from that point onward, from age 21 onwards, uh, it was pretty much just a matter of coping with the loss of function. But that turns out not to be true at all. You are continually producing new neurons and those neurons are continually being reorganized into the systems in your nervous system. And that's done through the medial prefrontal cortex. So it's terrific news in terms of all of the ways that our minds tend to run away with us. The way to get a handle on that process to take the reins, as it were, of the horse is to be aware of the feeling of breath in your nostrils. And if you do that, in fact, if that's all you did your whole life by way of meditation or yoga or any other kind of practice, your life would change so much. You know, so many things would improve. Um, and so it's really good news that the fundamental practice is really simple. It has many, many depths and subtleties to it. And it, you know, it takes some time to explore all of those and to, and to dive into those depths. And it's always different. It's always different. Right, exactly. And the deeper you go into the process, the more that sense of, of continual novelty deepens as well. Mm -hmm. One of the descriptions that Paramahansa Yogananda makes of his experience of samadhi, which is the deepest experience of that kind of awareness, was endless waves of ever new joy, a sense of joyfulness that never becomes familiar, that never gets old. Um, it's always fresh. It's always opening new things to you at every second. It's hard to even imagine such a thing. Yeah. But you get a little a taste of, of contemplation there. Yeah. The breath in your nostrils. Hmm. And the lovely thing is you can maintain that awareness of breath doing anything. You know, I have like, this conversation going on right now with a student in India who's having a big battle inside himself because he thinks he can either do something or watch his breath. <laughs> you know, like it's uh, um, two different things uh, and it's not I mean, that breath awareness goes on all the time in the background of everything you do and if you really practice that way if you really keep that breath awareness 24 hours a day then there's no time that you're not practicing and there's nothing in life that is not a practice of yoga and meditation for you one can be aware of all the sensations of the coolness and the warmth and the, the movement of the air. There's not many things one can be aware of. Just, uh, I mean, just in terms of feeling the body. When I started teaching Hatha Yoga in the early 70s, um, I would lead relaxation practices and people would get up from those and they would say, oh my God, I never felt anything like that before. <laughs> and, you know, after the, 150th time I'd heard this from somebody, it dawned in my mind, God, these people don't feel their bodies at all. 
And that's true of the vast majority of people. They walk mm -hmm. through the world looking at their body from outside as if it's this external thing hanging off the end of their mind. And so few people really feel their body inside from head to toe because if they do, if you really do feel that, changes the quality of your movement. It really does. Everything and and energy, your energy changes and, right. and uh, everything starts to feel lighter and more buoyant. And one can become uh, in, inspired and um, uh, be very flexible in every way. This is one of the words. Body and mind. <laughs> this is one of the words we use for breath, inspiration. Ah. <laughs> Love Why? that. Word. Because when you, you become mindful, when you exercise that part of your mind that the yogis refer to as your buddhi, mm -hmm. you prepare your mind field to receive intuition and creative inspiration. And it's a way to also prepare yourself to live a more creative life. So if yes. you're a creative person, this has enormous potential for helping you. Um, I spent my career as a psychotherapist. I actually started my academic career in theater arts. Wow. <laughs> oh, you, you're a singer. And I'd have, never, I'd have never guessed that I would end up being a performer. <laughs> but I ended up in psychotherapy, which is yeah. a really interesting profession, just I, because people are so interesting. And very, it's, very it's, yeah, it's everybody's so unique. Huh? It's really something to just make a, a profession out of, out of getting really getting to know people. And the most powerful thing that a therapist does is simply to listen. Yes, listen. coming to that, you, I, you have a story uh, that I remember well from the ashram when we used to visit for breakfasts and coffee uh, about um, how you would be with your uh, at a certain at a certain in my my uh, professional training I had already been in meditation for many years at this point and uh, I reached a point in my professional training where I had a full-time job, a full-time academic program, and a full-time internship to deal with. So not much time for, you know, to set aside to do a separate practice. So I had to try to weave my practices into what I was doing in my daily life. So at one point, I decided, okay, let's try doing the mantra meditation, the japa we call it, mm -hmm. recitation of a mantra, try doing that while you're talking to people in therapy. And, you know, do those moments of meditation in between the moments that you're speaking in therapy. Which, would, would, just a quick uh, uh, thought I had, it, when you're doing that, you're not necessarily not paying attention to this person. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm paying even better attention to them. Mm -hmm. And the thing about the thing about mindful awareness is that it sharpens everything you do, and very importantly, it short circuits uh, the sort of what the neuro neuroscientists would call all the the top down wiring in your brain. There is a set of structures in your brain that's referred to as the default mode network. Mm -hmm. 
And it's called the default mode because this is your brain. Basically, it's your brain on autopilot. It's how your brain works when you're not paying specific attention to something. And the interesting thing is, it was really kind of cool how they discovered this. You know, in the 80s, they got the MRI machines, the magnetic resonance imaging machines. So they started putting people in these machines and giving them a task and saying, okay, now what parts of the brain light up? So we can see which structures in the brain are related to particular tasks. One research group asked a very interesting question, what parts of the brain go dark when you give somebody a task? So they started looking across all these different kinds of tasks that people would uh, examine in MRI machines and they discovered it was always the same parts of the brain. So they thought, oh, I wonder what, so they began to take a closer look at this and eventually decided that this really constitutes our habitual sense of ourselves, sort of our psychological self. It contains all of our conditionings, all of our habits, all of these kind of pre-decided uh, behavioral sequences that we have with which we often meet things in our life. You know, we refer to these as habits. And most of the time, you know, people in spiritual practice, they think habits, bad. Well, no, habits are not bad. You know, if you, if you meet a cobra walking along the trail there in India, you don't want to have to think about, oh, what, what's that? <laughs> what should I do now? You know, you need to jump. You need to move out of the way quickly and, and not think about it too much. And, and those behavioral sequences we have are have a lot of survival value for us as human beings. They become problematic when they begin to overdrive our ability to see what's really going on in the present. In our lives. That's where meditation and mindfulness makes a huge difference. Because whenever you start to become aware of your breath or really begin to pay conscious attention in any way, the default mode network goes into the background. It shuts off. Mm. And it starts to be reprogrammed by this part of your brain, by the part of the brain that you're stimulating as you maintain that mindful awareness. The frontal lobe. So, for example, you all have some kind of a critical voice in your head that says, oh, you should be smarter. You should be thinner. You know, uh, <laughs> whatever. You know, everybody has their own thing. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> right, exactly. And that yada, yada, yada causes people a lot of trouble. And if you want to really begin to reformulate that, that presence in your mind, then practice this kind of mindfulness. Just be aware of your breath. That's all you have to do. Um, and the volume will begin to come down on that critical voice in your mind. And you'll be able to take a look at yourself in the mirror and see, for example, what your body really looks like. Because you are also actually feeling your body from inside. You know, and going because through your life as more of a dancer. So you're, you're looking from the inside out. Right. You're actually becoming aware of your entire surroundings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that what you found with your uh, patients, your, your clients? Right. Well, now back to the story. So I decided yeah. oh, sorry. that I was going to do my, my meditation practice in between sentences <laughs> in the process <laughs> of therapy, which is, you know, you think about it. That's kind of a weird idea. Um. But I noticed something very interesting. When I did that, 
I got a lot more quiet. Ooh. I spoke a lot less in the sessions. It gave the clients more space to say what they needed to say. When I asked them about this, because I wanted to get some feedback about, you know, their experience of this thing I was trying out, they said, well, actually, frankly, I liked it better when you were quieter. It <laughs> 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 was quite a lesson to me, you know? That's and awesome. Yeah. People, yeah. If I look back on a 35-year career in therapy and a 10-year career as a therapy client, what I realize is... I don't remember a whole lot of things that my therapist said to me. What I remember is the moments when he sat there across the room with tears in his eyes because he understood uh. the pain that I was having. It was that moment of contact mm. through presence that happened. That was the real healing factor. What, what he said. Yeah. One of my mentors in psychotherapy said, you know, therapy, therapy is just an opportunity to have a charming conversation with somebody while you wait for an opening. <laughs> and it's that kind of opening, an opening of the heart mm. that is the thing that is really healing in our therapeutic work. But even in our career with our friends, this is how to be a friend to someone. This is how to be a lover. It's about, you know, really allowing yourself to make contact and the only way you can really make contact and come to know another person is to make contact with yourself and to know yourself first. You know, Shakespeare was a yogi. This is a terrific message for this day and time in our world. Right. To keep our hearts open and our minds safely think, open. Uh, you know, another important principle you know, because so many people are beset by so much anxiety these days about one mm -hmm. thing and another. Is the country going to hell? You know, how do we deal with this incredible pandemic that we're living in at the moment? Uh, and a million other problems. Um, and these give people a lot of fear. Yes. And, you know, one of the tried and true principles of working with anxiety and psychotherapy is that if you can help people face their fears, their fears go down. If they start to hide from the fear and run from it, the fears get bigger and they start to generalize to more things. So the only way out of your fears is to face them one by one. That doesn't mean, you know, that you immediately have to go out and, you know, sit in a confined space with a venomous snake or something. Yeah. It's, it's a matter of figuring out what is a manageable what is a manageable thing that I could face right this minute, you know, mm -hmm. that would help me? You know, I used to, sometimes there were irritating people who'd be after me on the phone or something at the office, and I'd put it off and put it off and put it off, you know, because I had some trepidation about what was going to come of the interaction. And I finally had to learn to say to myself, now look, you've got 10 minutes here between clients. Think how much better you'll feel when this is off your plate. Just pick up the phone and make the call. And that kind of parenting myself in that way was really effective and very, very helpful. And the thing is, the more mindful you become, the more fearless you become. That's 
That's brilliant. Yes. It's yes. terribly important. Yes. Um, you know, this is, this is the way to deal with your fears. And ultimately, it even, it even deals with the fear of, of death that people have. Yeah. Let's say that again. The more mindful you become, the more mindful you become, the less fearful. The more fear, the less fearful you become. Yes. The less fearful you become. That is brilliant. We need, that's your next book. (laughs) Real, real fearlessness is not a matter of being tough. It's not. No. You need to see the fear, right? need to see it. And eventually that process also makes you more compassionate and more nonviolent. Yeah. Bottom line, bottom line, you can keep your heart open if you, if you have less fear. In the, in the yoga sutras of Patanjali in the second chapter, Patanjali describes this attitude of nonviolence. And he says, when that attitude of nonviolence is established, even wild creatures lose their hostility in your presence. Mm. There's a great story about this. Uh, Swami Rama was walking in the jungle one time with his master. And uh, they, uh, King Cobra happened to be across their path. And this was kind of an irritated day for the King Cobra. He was standing up. Now, we think of cobras, we think of, you know, these little snakes that are up like, you know, two feet off the ground. King Cobra is actually a different species and it's quite a different snake. It's much bigger. It's actually, they grow to seven meters, 21 feet. So when they stand up, they stand up the height of a person and their head is a little big. It's a pretty impressive animal and they're fearless because they only eat other snakes, mostly under Cobras. Hmm. So um, they have no fear at all. So the master engaged the snake by gazing at it, walked up to the cobra and began to stroke the head of the cobra gently, very lovingly. Mm. And the cobra just went down and left it. I love that story. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, you've just led us into a place where we might just do a meditation soon, if you'd like to. You can. I want to tell one other story first. I'd love it. I want to tell you about a friend of mine who uh, I used to sing with. And uh, one day she sent out an email to a bunch of people in this group that used to sing together. And she said, "Um, I'm sorry to say that my, um, she had Parkinson's disease. She said, my Parkinson's disease has become so advanced that I may no longer be able to join our singings. But that may actually not be a problem because I also found out today that I have stage four liver cancer and I will not live long. Please don't think that I'm sad. Just come and sing with me. So we used to gather at her house and we would sing every day actually after that, that she remained alive. And I immediately messaged her back and I said, you know, there are some things about yoga that might be helpful when the time comes that you need to leave the body. Hmm. Happy to talk with you about that if you'd like. And she wrote back and she said, oh, that sounds fascinating. Please come. So I did. And we talked about meditation a little bit. 
but the the way she started this conversation with me, I will never forget, and I always quote her exactly. She said to me, Stephen, I'm so excited. I can hardly wait to die. Wow. What an adventure. Wow. No fear. Wow. So much joy. She was just full of joy from head to toe. It was beautiful example of how far this attitude of mindfulness can take you yeah. in the process of dissolving even your fear of dying so that dying can just become an adventure for you. What an incredible adventure. Plato said, practice dying every day. And that's what we do when we meditate. Yeah. You know, we sit down. We relax our body. We allow it to become the corpse that it is. We still the mind. We take it all the way inside. And I have a, I have a friend who actually practices the Tibetan discipline of poa, which is preparing people for death. And she used to tell me, you know, I sit down in my meditation every day and I try to die. Said yesterday, I almost. <laughs> but every time I sit down on my meditation, I try to jump out of my body. <laughs> oh, that's great! I remember Ramdas saying uh, once years ago, um, "There's nothing to be afraid of in dying." It uh, something like. Uh, it's just uh, an exhale, basically. That's right. The last breath you take will be an exhalation. And the first breath you take in the next body will be an inhalation. And so it's in just a pause. And, and there's, there's mastering the pause. In between, kumbhaka. Kumbhaka. Yes, which we don't necessarily want to do as beginners, right? Right. Just, uh, just, just between bodies, for the for the time being, while we're still babies. Yeah, lovely. Okay. Thank so you for that. Meditation practice. Huh? Yes. I'd love to complete. Thirty-two minutes. That'd be perfect. Okay. Well, let's see what we can do here. Nothing special. No, just something well, simple. Yeah the flow of your breath in your nostrils. Notice the subtle shift in your awareness with the first breath you take. You just allow that natural process to continue. As you go from breath to breath, notice how the breath naturally becomes longer, naturally smoother, naturally deeper. And as you feel the space your body occupies from head to toe, you may also feel your body beginning to correct itself. To let go 
the accumulated tension from the day. You can enhance that process by consciously moving through the body, starting with the muscles in the top of your head and your forehead, feeling inside especially inside any tight spots you find. So the muscles just let go. And feel down around your eyes and eyebrows. So those muscles release and relax. Feel into your cheeks and the corners of your mouth. Release the corners of your trouble. Feel down into your neck. Your throat center. Out into your shoulders. And feeling inside any tightness you find, gently and loving, so the muscles just let go. Feel down inside your upper arms. Down inside your forearms. your hands, your fingers, your fingertips, for a moment, you must feel the current of breath, subtle energy we call prana, Flowing between the crown of your head and your fingertips. Flowing free and gay. Relax your fingertips. Feel back inside your fingers. Let your fingers go as if they could just float away. Feel back inside your hands. Back into your forearms. Let your hands go. Yeah, back inside your arms. Release your forearms. Now 
Relax your shoulders. The throat center. Yeah, down inside your chest. Relax your upper back and chest. Yeah, into the muscles in between your ribs. Tingling. Yeah, into the center of your chest. Exhaling and inhaling in the space. Breathe. your heart center. Yeah, down around your navel. Your hip joints. Gluteal muscles. Your thighs. Your calves and lower legs. into your feet and your toes. Yeah, each toe. Yeah, your whole body breathing. the flow of breath and mind between your navel and your nostrils.
as you observe this calm, peaceful flow. Just listen. If you have a personal mantra, let the mantra come. No reciting, no repeating, just let it come. It's a natural song from inside. Or you can use your favorite divine name. Or even the sound of your breath. Hum, the exhaling breath. So the inhaling breath. Yeah, draw your mind towards a chamber of silent presence. Ultrasound becomes just a vibration.
Vibrate in your mind. Born with the breath from head to toe. The whole cave become full of that sound. meditation cave that is the interior of your body. This Enjoyed. We're ready to close the practice. Let your mind turn gently outwards. Again, feel the solidity of your physical body. Your palms come before your face. Your eyes gently open. Keep in this awareness that you Let your mind. Move outwards towards your observing its motion. Now, gratitude in your heart to fill your palms with a fragrant blossom offered for the welfare of all beings. of gratitude, the groove force, 
one within us and between us at each moment, linking us, even when we can't touch each other. From the bottom of the cave of my heart, thank you so much for that lovely meditation. I have a feeling I that this will be played over and over, possibly every day for some of the listeners. It will be a good way to get used to feeling what it feels like to drop down and be in the present moment. Thank you so much. Life is driving you crazy. There's almost no place that you can't stop for two minutes. Uh -huh. Do this. Two minutes is not a lot of time, but it's so, it's so full. It's so full when you stop and feel. Well, thank you so much. The deepest meditation, 10 seconds, the same as 10,000 years. Oh, 10,000 years. I've never heard that. That's fascinating. It doesn't matter how much time you spend in superconsciousness for that reason. So, infinite, <laughs> infinite. <laughs> Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. You're very welcome. I, I hope we can do something again. Mm -hmm. There's so many topics we can cover. So. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm just going to end by um, saying that you can find Dr. Parker's books. Uh, you can Google the name of the book, which is uh, Clearing the Path, The Yoga Way to a Clear and Pleasant Mind, Patanjali, Neuroscience and Emotion. And you can find him on YouTube and you can find him on Facebook as well. And he does lots of lectures and there's, uh, there'll be lots of recordings for you available as well. My so. initiated name that I was given by Swami Veda in 1971 is Stoma. Stoma. Throw that word Stoma in there. Probably a whole lot of stuff will come up on YouTube. Exactly. There. Thanks for mentioning Great. that. Yeah. There over the years, so. Perfect. Yeah. And please subscribe to masterthepause.com. That's my website. And uh, you can click on the Apple or the, um, the other uh, Spotify and stay inspired as you too find your breath. Two times a month, you'll be notified of new inspirations with my guests. Thank you for joining us today, Stoma. Thank you. Namaste. And uh, all the best for your peace of mind. Namaste. All the best. Till next time. <laughs> <laughs>